In a world of EMS podcasters, EMS Office Hours is the only live podcast bringing you the latest topics and opinions in EMS. Turn down your scanner and turn up your speakers as we join Jim Hoffman and Josh Knapp on their latest EMS podcasting journey. And this is Josh Knapp. And we also have Dave uh, Brennan on as well with us. Dave Brenner, that's me. Yeah. Dave Brenner. Um, Thank you, Dave, for joining us again. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I love definitely this. definitely appreciate having you. Yeah. Um, don't forget, uh, this episode is sponsored by EMS Manager. You can go check them out and get a free trial of their employee management and scheduling software it's over at emsmanager.net and we'll talk a little bit more about them uh, later on of course as always uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter we are at emssafe on Twitter and Josh has his own Twitter at wantanew um, and of course the Facebook uh, page at facebook.com forward slash emsofficehours um, what else well, I also want to mention, don't forget, check out Josh's uh, website at wantnew.com, W-A-N-T-Y-N-U.com, uh, to get a one-of-a-kind uh, EMS tool you just can't live without, um, TK1, TK2, TK3. If you don't know what they are, you should just go check it out just to go with the site. That, that's it. Just, just say, you know, check out this product right. you don't yeah. know what it is right I mean, just go check okay. it out Make me th- yes it's a um it's a doohickey thingamabob it's but you'll find it right. you'll find it's it useful to, you'll find it next to the left-handed shovels but it's the and best the, box hand, of good squares. the best doohickey well, actually, thingamabob yeah, you'll ever find and yeah. it's and it's um you know uh by-handed so you don't have to worry well, about right-handed it will work in either hand just fine Tina gave it away in the chat and said it's an oxygen wrench. Tina! Yeah. That was the theme. It was going to keep everybody guessing. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, well, listen, it is it is a great tool that I encourage uh, everyone to go check out. It is the oxygen wrench that you will always wonder how you do without it once you get it. Trust me when I tell you. True. It's true, and it comes with a money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back. Yes, yes. I'll think of sending you your money. Mm. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so go check that out, guys. Uh, of course, I'm over at emsseo.com as well. You can go there and check out some uh, study and training resources there uh, for paramedic EMT students. Uh, go check that out. And, of course, Dave has... Uh, his 12-week program. Dave, you want to just do. Let, let people know get a, get some more information on that just so it's out there. I know that you don't really have a website or anything, but I know you know you, you uh, have a way for them to take part of that and if, sure, in what area it's in and all that. You know, it makes me feel like a technophobe, but I've been doing computers since 1966. But uh, I haven't, I have not yet set up a web page. Yeah, they can reach me at a uh, Brenner, David, at optonline.net if they're interested in the 12-week class. Um, I, can, I can bring it to you, or you can come and take it here in, on Long Island. And uh, 
I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll change your practice based on it. Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm trying to do, I, I got to get a hold of the flyer that I saw. I think you posted it. I did, yeah. Um, I want to get a hold of the flyer so I can take like a snapshot of it and put it. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a notes. Facebook page. Yeah, because I just want to uh, let people be able to read it and see what it's all about and, you know, maybe take the opportunity to, to uh, you know, take part of that. You know, and I appreciate the training. It. I think 12 leads are always a, a good good training, you know. Yep, just finished the class. It was wonderful. And you go on to the, you go on the whole uh, uh, taking the right-sided e, you know, ECG and all that stuff for... Right, right-sided posterior? Yeah. Why would, I, why would I want to look at only half a heart? I know. I, you know, it's, it's been good enough, Dave. We've been doing that all these years. It's fine. That's it. That's you know, it. It, it, if that's the way we used to do it, why not continue? A hundred years of tradition unimpeded by progress. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, that's the type of thing that you, 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 you know, you, you know about and all, but um, I don't know if enough people really get trained in that. You know. We get told to do it, but you're right. We very rarely get trained about, you know, how to do it, where to do it. And the fact that we're not coming into the hospital holding two, two 12 leads in our hands. Hey, doc, this is the right side and posterior. If they're not coming in with it, we're not doing it. Uh, you know, and it gets even more because, you know, you get a little bit more in depth of some of the telltale signs of, you know, uh, a really bad... Uh, a really bad, really chance to be fatal rhythms before they are. And so, you know, there's some good stuff to be learned there. Oh, I think so. I think so. But, you know, enough about me. <laughs> oh, why not? I mean, listen, I like, to, I like to highlight our guests and what they do, you know, mm. so that uh, because I think there's a lot of people in EMS that, do a lot of things for EMS and training wise and all, all that type of stuff that they they don't get enough exposure. It could be. You know? They don't it get enough exposure be. and I think a lot of people have some great uh, insights and some great tips and things like that and, and they never really get the recognition and the, the exposure that they can get um, you know in their own sort of little you know, sure. world. You know what I mean? I saw a comment on, on Facebook about uh, um, national. We talk a lot here about, you know, things at EMS being national and things like that. And and somebody had mentioned, you know, why is there such a push all the time to make it national when, you know, EMS, uh, you know, does fine just with its own local, uh, you know, governing bodies and and that we can make more progress with, you know, the smaller local agencies, you know, adopting different new procedures and new equipment and new drugs and things like that instead of trying to make it this big national thing with everything that we do. I thought that was kind of an interesting sort of take on that. Oh, um, that's, why, that's why they have a, a school of becoming a physician in New York State only. Yeah. No, they don't? No, no, I, I think they don't. 
That was well, sarcasm. Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. I don't know. I just I, I found it was an interest, sort of an interesting uh, take on that. You know, that uh, that angle on that. You know, it is. I think that there's some there's some I guess you know valid point with that. You know where if you think about the, the a smaller group might be able to implement something um, much much faster than trying to make it this big national thing. You know. But I guess the goal is to get enough smaller groups to do it so that it does become more of a, of a nationwide uh, treatment or drug or, or you know, guide, uh, guideline or something like that. So, You know, I'm, I'm really kind of uh, embarrassed here, uh, but uh, it, through the marvels of technology, uh, my sound dropped out. Uh, while just when you started to talk about whatever it was you were talking about, we were talking I heard about six minutes of oh yeah, that's uh, a bad thing. Or we were talking about your your wrench. Yeah, your no. Website. Yeah, no, I, I uh, get that. But I, if you were talking about medical schools or something along that line. Yeah, right, about you what, know, what good is the Oxford wrench going to do somebody in medical school? Right. Um, nothing at all. Exactly. Exactly. You talk about stuff What's like that. You're going to do anybody in school, unless you're in EMS school. And if you're in EMS school, you're never going to use the things that you actually use in the field. So you'll have tanks in class that you can just open up with your hands. Mm. Right? That's funny. That is funny. We should talk about that one day. I think I think we got Vincent um, over in the queues. Let's see if this is him and we can get, get going a little bit here on tonight's topic. Um, let's see if we get him here. Yeah, Jim, it's me. Hey, Vincent, how you doing? All right, good. Yourself? All right, thanks for calling in. Appreciate you taking the time uh, tonight and uh, coming on here with us. Um, uh, Hi, Vincent, it's Josh Knapp. I'm, uh, hey, Josh. I'm the co-host. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you I, for having us. I, it was my pleasure, my pleasure. Having us? Is there more than one of you? No, just <laughs> just me. The collective us. I meant, I meant our organization. <laughs> you know, like you know. The, ro the royal we. You know, it's, yes, you're never alone with a schizophrenic. No, and we got right. and David uh, David Brenner is is uh, on with us as well. Hi, Vincent. Hey, Dave. How are you? I am well. So, in case uh, anyone listening, if you don't know uh, yet what what the the general topic tonight, we'll kind of try to focus on mainly is, is uh, sort of exploring the direct medic program, specifically this program that they have at the Emergency Medical Institute at North Shore LIJ, um, sort of a very unique program, um, and it's one where uh, students that don't have any prior EMS training are going to enter the program, sort of the traditional EMT course. It's twenty. It's a twenty-month program, and it gives all the candidates the the candidates the opportunity to become credentialed as a New York State EMT and as well as a paramedic. So. Um, I want to bring Vincent on because, you know, I've got a lot of, I looked on, so that initially saw this posting on Facebook and a lot of people thought bashing it that you should really be an EMT for X amount of years and how can they be a medic without any experience and what kind of paramedics are they going to be and things like that. So I said, let me reach out. And I'm sure Vincent's never heard any of these arguments. I'm before. sure, yeah. Oh, I heard sure them all. In fact, we were the ones that were, uh, we were bashing right. and that's why we decided just, to initiate this. I was just going to say, I was talking to Vincent the other day, and, and he was talking to me about some of the evolution of this program. So, Vincent, why don't you just kind of just give a quick quick bio of yourself and what you do at 
um, the Institute, and then maybe go, go into a little bit of what the program is, and then we can kind of take it from there. I'd be happy to. Uh, again, uh, my name is Vin Papsadero. I'm the uh, EMS Program Manager for the North Shore Long Island Jewish Health System. Uh, I oversee the EMS education programs for the health system. And uh, the story starts back a couple of years ago, back in 2008, when EMS education within the health system was taken out of EMS, out of the Syosset location, and moved into the health system's corporate university. Uh, and the reason behind that was the health system went in partnership with Hofstra University to create a uh, brand new school of medicine. And one of the first things that the school of medicine wanted to do uh, is, well, actually it was two things. They wanted to introduce new teaching and learning methodologies to all their students. And they also wanted to uh, have their first year, first year medical students become EMTs immediately. We thought it was a great idea, and that was how we originally got linked up with the Hofstra School of Medicine. So what they did is that students coming into medical school, the first thing they had to do, in fact, the first class they take, year one, day one, is an EMT session. And the reason behind that was that they wanted students to encounter patients as early in the process of medical school as, as humanly possible. And what the students are doing in their first year as medical students is they're becoming EMTs, they're going out in the field, they're riding on ambulances, they're getting uh, exposed to what EMS does. And when they encounter an interesting patient, <clears throat> they disembark from the ambulance and they follow that patient to route their care within the hospital. So what we did is we saw that this, you know, we could, we could utilize these new, uh, these new methodologies and all these teaching um, modes in our paramedic program. So what we decided to do at that very moment is to shut our pro paramedic program down. This was down in 2008. We had a class that was in. We graduated that class and we shut the paramedic program down. And we revamped the entire paramedic program. And so what was different about it when, it re uh, when we restarted it? Uh, we no longer did any lectures. Lectures were down to a minimum. Uh, we selected only the uh, students that we thought would thrive in this particular environment. Students were forced to learn in class during uh, team-based learning exercises, patient simulation, cadaver labs, uh, standardized patients, which are patients that act out different, or that are trained to act out different medical emergencies. And we really wanted to invoke what we were doing at the medical school with the School of Medicine students into the paramedic students. So we ran two classes with great success, and now we've started to introduce it into our EMT program. All while simultaneously, this is going on. Our paramedic program, we like most people in the um, EMS you know, field felt that students for paramedic program should have at least one year experience as an EMT. In fact, we required it. In fact, technically we still require it for entry into our paramedic program. We won't even look at your application unless you have one year experience as an EMT. So what we found was that we had our EMT students that were graduating from EMT school and then a couple of weeks later, we're calling us up for letters saying, you know, get, give me a letter verifying that I just finished an EMT class so that I can apply to somebody else's paramedic program. And these were decent students, and we didn't want to lose them. So we reevaluated what we were doing, and we were saying to ourselves, you know, maybe these, you know, what's to say these people aren't going to be good paramedics or that they can't become good paramedics? But we still feel strongly about these students needing experience. We feel, and this is really a test, uh, test project right now, we feel that as we take students 
We qualify those students as if they were about to get into our paramedic program, and we can qualify them before they even get into EMT school, and we can run them through the EMT program with a higher standard, a higher grade average, higher expectation, and greater exposure to the EMT program itself, and then have them begin BLS rotations early on in the program and mandate that BLS rotations are part of their program, why can't they go on to medical school after, uh, you know, a month after getting out of EMT school? Uh, we're going to give it a shot. Uh, you know, we don't know if it's going to work, but the way the program that we're running out right now is that these, we're going to take only six students. These six students are going to work together as one group. They're going to start a traditional EMT class that's going to meet two nights a week. And then right around, right around the part where they would begin medical emergencies in the EMT program, they're mandated to have to complete a minimum of one BLS rotation a week. And those BLS rotations will continue throughout the program. When they finish the EMT program, then they're going to have to do a minimum of two, even possibly three, rotations up and from that point up until the time the paramedic program starts. So what we're hoping to do is we're hoping to get good qualified students on the front end. We're hoping to get them adapted to our new, st our new study uh, methods and our teaching methodologies in the EMT program. We're hoping that the new EMT curriculum, which has been broadened, uh, rebroadened again now that we've adapted the national standards, and the fact that we're going to expose them to our own 911 ambulances in New York City is going to give them a leg up on somebody who's just going to finish our EMT class and roll right into paramedic school before they even get their card in their hand. Yeah, um, Vince, uh, yeah. first of all, uh, can I say Vince or Vincent? What do you prefer? Either. doesn't matter. Okay. So, <laughs> um, there, there, I mean, you zipped through that, and it, it sounds like you've given this uh, talk once or twice before. Mm. Uh, yeah. well, I had to sell it to my staff, actually. <laughs> so you're a little, so you're a little practiced at this. So you know, there's a couple of things that sort of popped out um, on, you know, in the description of this program, and, and just uh, on the top was um, that you were looking for students. There's, there's actually several, several folds to this question, but you were looking for students um, and looking for the qualities that you were looking um, post-EMT, pre-paramedic, and then you were looking at them pre-EMT. And I, I would wonder, you know, what some of those qualities were because, you know, once when you're looking to get into uh, a paramedic program, you've been working for a year, there are all sorts of metrics you can now go by. You know, how many rides have you done? What system? How busy? What type of jobs have you done? All that other stuff. So where do you go when in that evaluation when you're going with somebody theoretically who has no experience at all? Well, I can tell you we are going to perform a math assessment, a reading and comprehension assessment exam that both have to be passed. And then, of course, we're still going to require the same recommendations of our students as if they were getting into the paramedic program work ethic, study ethic, things like that we're looking for. Uh, we want to make sure that, you know, listen, again, there's no guarantee that we're going to get six people and they're going to be dynamite paramedics. But we're going to do everything that we possibly can to screen for these people up front to make sure that they're at least candidates for the type of learning environment in which we're trying to promote. Again, it's not a, it's not a lecture-based format. Our EMT program is not, is not that way either anymore. We don't stand there in death by PowerPoint in three hours worth of uh, uh, PowerPoint slides, everything is team-based learning, group-based group learning. 
We give uh, exams every night. We give individual readiness assessment exams every night, or otherwise known as IRATs. So we're making sure that these, that these candidates or these individuals are prepared for that type of learning. And again, once they're in the program, they have to maintain an 80 average. So, so that's almost a bigger. The skin of their teeth. So that's almost a bigger qualifier. Is you know, can you can you exist and hopefully thrive within the academic environment uh, versus you know what your skill sets were or what your experience was uh, working as an EMS uh, personnel? Yes, we actually thought of this in mind with the returning military veterans. And we have a lot of returning military veterans that are looking for work. They're looking to become paramedics. And they're getting, you know, pre-hospital, I don't want to call it pre-hospital, they're getting battlefield experience uh, uh, in the military. And, uh, you know, this is really what we're looking for. We're looking for people that don't necessarily, uh, you know, they're either going to make great students or they're going to make, uh, you know, have some experience coming to us. We do get a lot of EMT students that do have some type of medical experience, even though they're not EMTs. No, I, I don't know. I, I like the, the idea of this because, you know, part of the argument you see a lot of times about people that talk about uh, EMTs going right to medical school as soon as they're done, and you know, some of the argument you'll hear is, well, you know, really what do EMTs do that they need all this experience to begin with? You know, it doesn't take much to teach somebody to take a blood pressure, things like that. I think the main thing with experience-wise is, is the patient contacts and sort of the stuff that you don't learn in school, you know, the, the non-classroom stuff that you that you don't get as an EMT, that it sounds like with this program they're sort of getting some of that because, like you said, they, they're getting out and riding with your 911 ambulances and things like that, you know, before they, they uh, uh, you know, all in conjunction with the paramedic program. Um, my other sort of observation on this, I mean, you know, so far too, is that I, I wonder, you know, why don't EMT schools just do that to begin with with their EMT candidates to not make it this, you know, cookie cutter sort of, you know, come take the course and you'll get your certificate as an EMT and, you know, go ahead and have at it. Why not? screen EMT. There's no money in that. You know, more. Yeah. I know, but it, I know the money end of it, but, uh, you know, for the for the profession and, you know, for this, you know, you hear everybody out there, you know, pushing the education end of EMS and, and uh, you know, and trying to get better qualified, you know, uh, providers and all, but there's no, the screening process for that initial EMT card um, isn't there. I mean, I don't know, even with paramedic, I mean, a lot of places, I mean, you know, back in the day, it was like if you had a pulse of $5,000, you can get into paramedic class. <clears throat> Wasn't a whole hell of a lot of screening for paramedic class either. You know, so yeah, why is Unfortunately, when we have EMT know, students, we there, there isn't really much we could do in, in the way of screening. Uh, we make sure that they have, a, you know, a GED or a high school diploma, and really that's about it. Uh, and it's been, a, it's been a struggle. And the, you answered your own question in that it's a money issue, but... The beauty of paramedic school is that you're not bound by state funding, and you're allowed to charge above and beyond what the state reimbursement rate is, so it affords you the opportunity to do a couple extra things. If you looked at our program, above and beyond the state funding, we're actually charging students, I think it was $800 or something. And basically what it is, we're deferring a part of the paramedic program and moving it up front. What that's allowing us to do is to outfit these direct-to-medic students in, with uh, uniforms, we're giving them um, a 
tablet because we don't use textbooks in the medic program. We use a tablet and we load all the books and resources onto the tablet. And when the students go out into the field to do their clinical rotations, they report back on their tablet and the tablet goes right back to the staff for review. So these students, these direct to medic students, are going to be held to those same standards where they're going to so have to go really, out. So yeah, wait, so wait, the direct the direct to medic students or your your medical students? Which which one are you asking about? I'm sorry. The the program that you've really sort of now um, thought through to the point that you have an entire uh, electronic platform that they work yeah. off of. They are your which they, students? Right, currently are paramedic students, and we're going to we're going to put this also on our direct to medic students. So that when the direct to medic students come in, these six students come into the EMT program, they're going to be outfitted in, in uniforms. So that when they do their rotations, they're in uniform. They're going to get this tablet. They're going to have their books and reference materials loaded onto the tablet. This is what we do currently in our paramedic program. I see, I see. These, these students so this will work. A, right. And how long have you been doing that for your paramedic program? <clears throat> Since we reopened in uh, 2012. Okay. So some real thought went into sort of what the future of these programs is going to look like. And what yes. you want the students like? Yeah, I love the, that, that 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 fact that you're doing the electronic and the digital, uh, you know, uh, presentations and stuff. Because it lets you really, you know, add stuff to the tablet and take stuff away and and you know give the students access to it without lugging around faster, more accurate yeah, exactly. data collection, better sure. feedback. I mean, it just is. Yeah, it, that's it a whole other podcast. Educational actually, environment. Yeah. yeah. One of the podcasts that discuss that type of thing. I wonder how many other programs out there, you know, do that type of thing. Um, yeah, I'm you know, sure how many uh, other programs put their students in uniform? Yeah. And I couldn't you know, I You know, one of the things that you uh, may not know about uh, the show or Jim and I, but we're very big proponents of, you know, the quote-unquote EMS professional. And we feel that, you know, in a lot of ways, and, and this is, I'm sure, a common thread with most people who have been doing it a little while, is that we really are the shoeless, red-headed stepchildren of the emergency management system. And, you know, we sort of feel, and we, you know, this is a common voice of ours, is that part of that has to do with something that we own as, quote-unquote, professionals, is how do we put that professional face out there? And, you know, you see it all the time because of the size of the organization you work for. We see it all the time in, you know, on the deck and in, in the offices we work, is that, um, you know, the guys who walk out, their shirts untacked, their hats on backwards, uh, they're, you know, wearing flip-flops in even some rural areas, uh, that just doesn't cut it. And we're never going to get anywhere if we put that face forward and the public thinks that we're just, uh, you know. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I could tell you that from our little end of the world, our corner of the world, we're trying to change that, and I'll tell you what we've done. Um, like once again, we don't take every person that applies for our paramedic program. In fact, for every applicant uh, that applies, we only take uh, about, about half uh, when we run our classes. Unfortunately, other you know, programs, they take everybody. Uh, we don't. We take only those who we think are a good fit for our program and our type of, our type of environment. Our program is run within the health system's corporate university. So what does that mean? It means that when students come to class, they're sharing the same facility 
that doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals are operating within. That means when they come to class, they come to class um, in business attire. Men have to wear ties. We're trying to change the perception and the image of the profession. When they go out and do rotations on the ambulance, they must be in uniform. They wear the same uniforms that our EMS providers uh, wear. When they go out into the hospitals, same thing. They have to wear business attire during clinical rotations. Um, and again, they're working alongside, during their paramedic program, they're working alongside nurses and physicians, and we're trying at, from our level and within the health system to change the perception. Everybody we take into our program goes through a thorough background screening, and basically every person that comes to our program is considered employable. They get access to the health system uh, network. They get health system ID cards. They get health system email addresses. They represent the health system. So we're doing our part to carefully screen individuals before we take them into the program, and we're really making them feel a part of something that's bigger and better than just, you know, riding in the back of the ambulance. And we're trying to instill that here with the direct-to-medic program also in that we're changing the attitude early. Before you even become an EMT, you're going to get into the mentality that you're going to become an emergency health professional. This is how you're going to act. These six students will work as one group. They're going to be called Group A. They're going to go in and do EMT program. Those six individuals are going to work together. They're going to feed off each other. They're going to help each other. Each of them is going to be assigned their own personal mentor that they can um, reach out to if they encounter a problem. On skills nights, they're going to get all the BOS skills that they're required to get, and they're going to be working with the paramedic skills instructors. That particular group will work with paramedic skills instructors, and they'll get a little bit extra, a little, a little bit above and beyond what the EMT students are going to get. They're going to you be know, given sir, more. They're going to be expected to do more as well. It's kind of interesting because you've mentioned the group, um, the group dynamic uh, several times now. And I, I yep. think that that creates an interesting learning environment because one of the things that we face in the field is our fractured workplace. You know, who are you with? I'm with this uh, organization. I'm with this hospital. I'm with this public service. I'm with this state. I'm out of this county. And none of us talk exactly the same. It's a, it's a big competition and none of us talk exactly the same language. And so you have an interesting both challenge and opportunity to really build that group dynamic by saying, hey, listen, part of your grade is based on how the group does. Yes. So now, if I can ahead. explain. Please. <clears throat> the way, the way team-based learning works, just in a real quick uh, synopsis of it, is that students are responsible for reading on their own. Okay, and I know this is something we've always tried in EMS, but we never really enforced because what we did is we sent students home with a reading assignment. They would come to class the next day or night, and we would regurgitate everything that was in the textbook through PowerPoints back to them. So you didn't, weren't really forced to read. Never now had happened, to open a book. That's right. And I had students that never even purchased books. I had students that purchased them and never even opened them. That hey, sold look, the money and they asked the class is brand new. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. The buck stops here. Students go home, they're given a reading assignment, they walk into class, and they're given an IRAT exam. It's a short exam. IRAT stands for Individual Reading Assessment, and basically it's just a few questions just designed to, wet, to determine whether or not you perform the reading. Okay? So students take an IRAT exam. Then after that IRAT exam, they sit and they get the same exam over in the group. It's called GRAT. Okay? And then the group of students, whether it be five or six students, 
they come up with a set of answers amongst the group. So they answer every question, again, the same as a group. Then after that, the exam is reviewed. We go into a short presentation. Presentations are never longer than 30, 40 minutes. Fact, it's been studied that you cannot lecture to an adult for more than 45 minutes. They shut down after 45 minutes. So we do a very short, brief lecture and hit all the important parts, and then we do another team-based activity. Our EMT class just this past week did medical legal. So their team-based activity, they actually ran a mock trial, and they had everybody, uh, all the students in the class participated, went right from the plaintiff and the defendant to the bailiff. Uh, so, and this is how we're, we're, we're trying to make learning interesting and fun. We don't want to lecture, you know, people, our students work all day. They hit the drive-through on the way to class. They come to class. They don't want to be lectured to for two and a half, three hours. You're not getting any out of it. So this is something that we've tried to, we've started with the medical school. We had success at the medical school. We implemented the paramedic program. It's been successful in the paramedic program, and now it's in the EMT program. So this is what's allowing us to bridge everything together and say, hey, listen, we're going to take these six students. We're going to make them a special special group, we're going to call them group A, and we're going to take them, we're going to make them EMTs, we're going to work on them, we're going to ride them, we're going to monitor them closely, and we're going to put them right into medic school. <laughs> and we're going to see if this thing's going to work. It may not work. We're going to, we're going to give, we're going to give every, every, uh, everything we have to make sure that it works, because there's no data out there that says you have to be an EMT for X amount of years before you're, you're going to make a good paramedic. In fact, yeah. we found that students who come to us who are EMTs for you know, long periods of time, usually make worse paramedics because they have a lot of uh, bad habits and stuff. In, in, in yeah, I was about to say something. They hate paramedics. You know, they thought yeah. they hate paramedics after a while. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, and, but even more important that there's no data that says, you know, when you get out of school, what level that you're at uh, has any effect or, or binding uh, outcome on, on how good you're going to be in the field. And I that's think that's right. uh, very pertinent because we're we're faced with an, uh, a world of um, you know uh, old traditions and and a, a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, we, well we've always done it that way instead of empirical data. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we're trying um, to change. We're trying to change the culture. Uh, we, we realize that many of our students and I, I've gone into classes the first night and I've gone ahead and have asked students the first night of EMT class. You know, what's your ultimate goal? And I'm finding that more than half of them want to become paramedics. Uh, we, we definitely are predicting the need for paramedics to increase in coming years. I'm sure you guys have all heard of the community paramedicine program. Yeah. I'm sure LIJ is already exploring it and implementing a paramedic, excuse me, a community paramedic uh, education piece. So we want, to, we want to help contribute to the need. And, you know, and the old question is, do you have to be an LPN and practice as an LPN for two years before you can become an RN? And the answer, of course, is no. And we're, we're trying to do the same thing here. We're trying to get an equal balance, though. We're going to say, listen, you can, you can go from EMT school to paramedic school, but we want you to do it our way. <laughs> we're, going to give you, we're going to give you as much experience and as much patient as many patient exposures as we possibly can because we have the capability of doing that. We're not... Uh, you know, we're not a college, uh, we're not an educational institution, we're a health system, and we have our own 911 ambulances. And these ambulances are busy, and they're running around out there for 12 hours at a pop. So we, ha we have access to these ambulances, and we can put these students on them, and we're just trying to take advantage of, of our resources. Yeah, listen, uh, Vincent, I, just, I got a, um, a sponsorship. I just got to play this sponsorship real quick for about two minutes, and then we'll come right back to you if that's okay, if you can hang on. Yeah, no, go ahead. Please. Um, 
and uh, you know we'll maybe bring Dave in here and see get maybe get some of his take on a little bit on this too, and then uh, uh, just talk a little bit more about uh, LIJ uh, health system in general and some of the stuff you got going on. And so let's let's do that, and then we'll come right back in about two minutes. You got. It. This episode of EMS Office Hours is sponsored by EMS Manager. They've consistently been helping EMS agencies save time and energy with their innovative web-based software for staff scheduling and management. There's a mobile web app accessible from smartphones and other mobile devices with an easy-to-use web interface viewable from anywhere on the Internet. You can check your own schedule and managers and staff can oversee, manage, and make changes to employee schedules from anywhere. Captain Chris Eaton from Springfield Township Fire Department, Springfield, Ohio, says EMS Manager has cut our scheduling time nearly in half. It's allowed our trades to be monitored more efficiently and cut down the headache of scheduling dramatically. Nate and the entire staff have been prompt in answering our questions and correcting any problems that have arisen. Great system. It's affordable, too. Pricing for EMS Manager is based on the size of your organization and because it's web-based, your employee schedule and software is located in the cloud, meaning there are no local additional IT costs to worry about. And there's always free training, free tech support, and free system software updates. If you want this for your system, check out the free customizable trial of EMS Manager at emsmanager.net. I want to thank EMS Manager for sponsoring EMS Office Hours and other shows from the ProMed Network. EMS Manager is proud to support EMS providers and managers through the sponsorship and the support of what we do. Show your support for them. Take a few minutes and sign up for the free trial at emsmanager.net. Show them that you appreciate their support by trying out the software. Visit emsmanager.net for Aladtech's EMS Manager for Online Employee Scheduling and Workforce Management. Let them know you heard it here on EMS Office Hours. This is Paramedic Elias Redding from California, and you're listening to the EMS Office Hours podcast. All righty. Um, so well, we uh, have the answer, by the way. What? We have the answer, Jim. For what? What did Red do after he got out of prison? I don't know. Did he get out of prison? Yeah, he got paroled. Don't you remember? I I barely remember. Listen, you know, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a promo spot. Listen, um, Dave, uh, do you have any comments or any questions or any input you think you want to uh, talk about with this 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 program and and. Maybe give you a little bit of your insight, being your, you know, EMS educator and all. Sure. Well, that was a rhetorical question anyway, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Vincent, first of all, I think this is a great idea. I've been saying this, let me say, for over 25 years that we've just been holding people back by throwing obstacles in their way. And I think there's a lot of reasons why people hold people back with this. I think medics like being elite. And telling a person who just came out of an EMT class you need experience feels a good thing to say. I think EMTs tell each other you need more experience because they don't want people passing them by. That's what I think on a personal level. And I think, and I think that it's all hogwash. I think that a good EMT student could move right on into paramedic um, and uh, 
and, and be very successful at it. Um, and as far as predictability goes, screening, screening of course, is, is essential. Um, and if you were to ask me, you don't have to ask me because I'll just tell you anyway. Uh, but if, but if, if one were to ask me what's the best predictor of how a person is going to do in paramedic school, in addition to all the other things like getting your life in order and knowing how to study. And, and you know what, Vincent, maybe you can actually follow this up because you did a pre-test. Pre Find out year after year if, in fact, this holds up. How did you do on your algebra regions? The person who does well on their algebra regions is the person who's going to do well in paramedic class. Now, you can fail your algebra regions and still do well on your paramedic class. But if you're asking me, pound for pound, what's going to give you the greatest prediction of who's going to succeed, you look at the at their algebra, uh, algebra regions grade. It's not only the math. There's reasoning involved in this. And a good paramedic knows how to reason. Not that I had anything else to say. Um, I just have, and, and Vincent, this is for you. Vincent, uh, now these, these six students, group A here, uh, they're going to go into a regular paramedic class that you have for, along with, you know, 30 or 35 other um, paramedic students? Yes. Is that the uh, plan? Oh, good. Go, yeah, they're going to go into a regular EMT class. They're going to, we're going to work as one group because we do everything within, you know, in, in teams. They're going to go into a regular paramedic class, right? Yep, and then they're going to go into a regular paramedic class and remain a single team. Oh, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Are they in a regular, you said a regular EMT class. My yes, sense was you right. only have six students in this whole class. Is that correct? No, no. It's, it's oh, going to be a class of 36 of students. 30, 30 traditional EMT students and then our six direct medic students. No, 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 that's not what I'm asking. The EMT okay, class, the direct medic students are only six, right? No, no there are 36. It's a full EMT class. They are one group within a full traditional EMT right. class. Okay, so now you're going to have 36 students, all of them moving on to a paramedic class, and are they no. going to be all by themselves? No. Yes. No, no. Let me, let, me, let me just give it to you. There's an EMT Go. class that starts in February. It runs two nights a week. There will be 36 EMT students in the class. 30 will be traditional students. Six will be direct to medic students. These six students will stay together as one group throughout the six-month or seven-month EMT program. When they graduate EMT, the EMT program, they're going to remain part of the uh, They're going to just remain uh, under our administration and have to conduct the BLS rotations. Then uh, six weeks later, they're going to start a paramedic program that will be also filled with other non-direct-to-medic students. So they'll, they'll, they'll be one group within an EMT program and then be one group within a paramedic program. And everybody in the EMT program was screened identically or just... No, 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 just these six students. Oh, too bad. Only okay. these six students. All right. Okay. I, I am sure they will be shining stars. So going into it, they know that they're already in the paramedic program and all that. They, they, this is all from, from day one. They know what their yeah. path is going to be. Okay. Providing they hold their end of the They're going to have their own application period. Uh, I mentioned before they're going to have to shell out uh, $825 uh, to cover the cost of their background screening, uniforms, the, the technology, uh, lab coats, all that other stuff. We're deferring some of the paramedic program costs to them up front. They're going to have their own orientation, and then they're going to jump into an EMT program. They're going to be one group within a large EMT class. Then that same group, and, and again, there's no guarantees they're going to get into the paramedic program. 
They must, they're going to be evaluated constantly. They're going to be evaluated to make sure that they're working well within the team. They're going to be evaluated on skills. They're going to be evaluated on their clinical rotations. And, again, they have to maintain an academic average of at least 80%. That's just to get into the paramedic portion. They could, they could go through the EMT class and become an EMT and not make it into the paramedic program. And the only thing that they're out is the extra $800 they would have laid out for the equipment and technology, which they all get to keep anyway. Do you see any problems arising through group dynamics? Because essentially you're putting in sort of a preferred group within the masses of your, of your standard group. I mean, there might be some, you know, unforeseen or maybe you've thought about some of these issues in terms of the social structure within your class. They, our EMT programs work within groups anyway. They are, have, our EMT programs have assigned groups. Our EMT program utilizes team-based, group-based learning uh, activities. So they would be no different than just any other group. They would be group A and the other groups would be B, C, D, and E. Uh, they're just going to be one group within EMT class. Are they going to be treated special? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and everybody else is going to, you know, they're, well, they have a higher know, calling. They're going I to were, paramedics. You know, if I were an EMT student, you know, maybe with the same goals and I saw these guys going on, I might be a little resentful towards the organization. Well, we're not saying that anybody can't go on to paramedic school. These people that from day one, before they even start EMT school, their goal is to go into paramedic school. There may be somebody sitting at the next table over who wants to become a paramedic. If he didn't apply for this program, uh, then you know, he can either withdraw and apply for the next program or complete the EMT program and apply for the paramedic pro program in a traditional manner. We're not saying, that, when he, he we're not saying that the guy at the next table over will never be a paramedic. He's just right. not on this track. That's well, I could I could see you know uh, then another scenario where maybe some of the guys in your group A don't actually make it through to the you know there's some attrition that goes on, and mm -hmm. in in the class of your generalized group of EMT students you might find a couple of shining stars that you say hey you know what it would be uh, good for us to just bring them right into the paramedic program. You know, we could do that, but, again, they're not going to have taken advantage of the, um, uh, the extra rotations. You know, our ENT students right now are required to do two rotations over, these, over the seventh-month period. These students are going to be doing one a week. So, you know, we, we still want them to go out and get that experience. I mean, we could cross that bridge when we come to it, maybe facilitate something for another student. Uh, right now, as it currently stands, if you look at our website, the, we still have the requirement for our paramedic program is one-year experience as an EMT. Right. Uh, so that's something we may have to revisit. Uh, and, again, what prompt, when, I, when, I told, uh, when I spoke to Jim the other day, what prompted this is that you know, we had a class of, uh, of EMT students, and uh, we had a, a really good EMT student uh, call me up. I'm not exaggerating. It must have been five days after he took an EMT exam. And he said to me, uh, could you write me a letter stating that I – took the state exam last Thursday. I said, sure, what's it for? He says, I'm going to paramedic school. And, uh, and that's when I realized that, you know, we're, 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 use, we're losing good students. I mean, we run a good EMT program. We have good uh, instructors. Uh, we have some real, dy you know, real dynamite students, and we're losing them to other paramedic programs because we're not even considering uh, their application unless they have a year experience. So and this almost became said, a competitive so, issue. Yeah, and, and let's, let, listen, let's face it, you call it what I want. At the end of the day, this is a business. I mean, we have budgets we have to meet, and the more students we have, 
the more we could do for them. We rely heavily on their tuition, and you know, to run this program, uh, and to you know, just just to just to use our the health systems bioskills web, uh, you know, to to practice uh, ALS maneuvers and on cadavers. That costs a lot of money, and the more students we have, the better the experience we can make it. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, you could believe this if you want to. The health system's not interested in making any money on this program. The health system's in it for for the uh, for its name, its publicity, and looks to break even at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, well, there's not any real money in education no, there for isn't. paramedics and EMTs. I <laughs> a mean, lot of people don't believe that, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know everything we we take into the paramedic program, we give back to the students, and the more students it's we an have. It's evil necessity, honestly. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, keep the keep the pipeline filled with with. Uh, I was about to say fresh meat, which would be a little unkind. Um, you know, know let me want to take students just for the sake of taking them and taking their money. We take right. students that we think are going to be successful in the program. You're so not referencing it's, other it's programs. It's a back there, and forth right? battle. <laughs> yeah. um, Vincent, let me move on to one uh, final thing, and I'll, I'll end my, my end here. But uh, I know that North Shore uh, offers the UMBC um, critical care program. And, um, I mean, is there any thought to, um, you know, adding, like, a, a further dynamic to this model? Um, I honestly, I, I, I can't answer that question. The uh, CCMTP program that you speak of is run out of our EMS division in Syosset, and I'm not really sure what they're doing with it or what they're looking to expand. Uh, oh, I thought you guys uh, were connected. Uh, not really. We're on the other end of the county. Uh, gotcha. We 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 do we're, we're the core sponsorship for the state. Uh, we run the EMT programs and the paramedic programs, and then a lot of the continuing education is done out in Syosset at our EMS division. Cool. Thanks. So Vincent, um, I, I want to just talk, so I want to start trying just to wrap up a little bit here. I appreciate you, you know, coming in here and giving us uh, some input on this, and um, everyone can go to learnemt.org and get all, all the programs uh, at the Institute and, and take a look at everything that they offer there. Um, I guess I just maybe just in closing, if you want to give some closing thoughts and maybe uh, just address those people maybe in, in uh, you know, as brief as you can, I guess, you know, which is, I guess is difficult. But that are listening and thinking yeah. of uh, well, maybe well, the people that And the people that say, you know, that uh, you need to have experience to be a paramedic and that this will never work type thing. Like, well, what would you say to kind of dispel that uh, beyond what we've already maybe talked about a little bit? Is there anything you can pinpoint that might, you know, sort of uh, knock that, that out of the box for those people that might be thinking about it, like Josh said, and are afraid because of the fact that they don't have the experience and that they're told that they have to? Uh, I could tell you this, is that, uh, you know, somebody, uh, I think it was uh, Dave that said it before, that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of old and, and deep in tradition in this, in, in this industry. There's a, people fear change. Uh, you have to do this. You have to, you know. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is that uh, we think that right now our pre-screening process is set up to uh, intercept anybody that's not really going to thrive in this environment. We think that if you were going to, it was going to accept into this program, and we may not even take six. We may only find four or five people that are a good fit. If we take you and we accept you, we think that you're going to survive this program, and we're going to be with you every step of the way to ensure that you do. We're going to give you experience. Uh, we're going to give you opportunities to go out on ambulances and, and, and get experience. Uh, you know, we're setting minimums. We're saying that you have to do a minimum of two ambulance tours uh, a week. 
but we, even in the paramedic program, we don't say that you have to have, you know, 900 hours on an, on an ambulance. We, our minimum is set on patient encounters. So unfortunately, if you go out and you do an ALS rotation and you don't have any, any, you don't encounter any patients in 12 hours, you don't have enough patient encounters. You have to encounter patients. It's not about, you know, doing hours and sitting on an ambulance. It's about actually encountering patients. Uh, and we're going to uh, give these people patient encounters. All our ambulances uh, that are running in the 911 system in, in, in the city are, are busy. Uh, we have ambulances now in uh, Staten Island and Lenox Hill as well. Uh, so we, we think that we can offer students exposure and experience. Uh, and and we think that, I think that's the, the deal breaker. I think that's what's different. Yeah, we're going to give you a couple of little cool things, and we're going to give you, you know, uh, a, a tablet, and you're going to do some, some, some fancy things, but the, the bulk of this is, is that we're going to e expose you as much as possible to not only 911 ambulance work, but also into facility work, which is where many new EMTs and new paramedics land out of school. And so uh, interfacility is also a big, uh, interfacility transports are also, a, you know, a big part of EMS, what we do. We do a lot of critical care transports uh, within the health system, and even our interfacility units are still picking up a good majority of 911 work. So that we're able to expose them to all the different things. We have our own communication center, our own medical control. And when I say we, I mean the health system. Uh, a lot of resources that we can expose you to and run you through all these resources, whereas we may be able to get you uh, just as much, maybe even more, as if you were, uh, and not to knock the service, but if you were to graduate from EMT school and run with a volunteer fire department for a year. Uh, and that's, that's what I think we have. I think that's what's different from everybody else. Uh, and, and, again, we got our fingers crossed that this works. We're going to give it our all, uh, and we have every reason to believe that it could be successful and will be successful. Cool, cool. Well, again, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, this is the type of thing we try to do in the show and, and try to shed light on these things and not just sit there and Facebook and Twitter and everything and kind of just write it off as, you know, uh, a cooking, you know, sort of like a, a cookbook medic type thing where they're just, you know, producing uh, medics out of a mill, you know. So I'm glad you're able to come on here and clarify a lot of it and, and break down the program and and really show that, it, you know, this is a viable thing. This is something that, that can work, and I hope it works good. I hope next time you get uh, 12 students out of it, you know, 12 yeah, thank you very much. You know, so hopefully that, that works yeah. out good. Good luck with that yeah, program. It sounds It sounds terrific. Yeah, maybe we can come back on in a year and tell you how it went. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure. I'm gonna put the link. Uh, it's in it's in the, the notes here, Block Talk Radio, on Wednesday when the archive uh, gets posted over to emsofficehours.com. Uh, we'll have the link to uh, your website there as well, Vincent. So anything you could think of between now and then, you can drop me an email and uh, I can add it to the show notes for the uh, for the main blog uh, when when I post the uh, the recording up. Okay, thank you very much. All right. Have a great weekend. Have a great holiday. Josh, Dave, thanks again. Stay safe, guys. Thanks, Vincent. You so too. long. Enjoy. Bye-bye. That was really quite something. Yeah, that was great information. I mean, I love I love being able to kind of break, I guess I break this type of stuff down because I, I just hate when, you know, somebody posted this this on, on one of the pages, a couple of Facebook pages, and right away everyone's bashing it. Right. It's never going to work. You have to have experience. And I think David mentioned there's some some key. That, that's what I call WAS syndrome. Yeah. Wah. You know, like like you said, you know, David. A lot of times people, you know, it's it's just I don't know. I just feel like 
you know, people, misery loves company almost. Yeah, but I think there's another aspect to this um, that, you know, a lot of these schools are cookie cutter. A lot of these schools are mills, and they're just putting them out, and they're grinding them through because some yeah. of their revenue is through the amount of students they turn yeah, over. That, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can agree with that, too. I and if you read the between the lines of what Vincent was saying about this school and this class, and one of the things that they've really changed over, even in the paramedic program, is that, uh, you know, reading between the lines, they make their students break a sweat. And I, and I, you know, it's like even the idea, I mean, we've all been through paramedic programs and we remember the guys who used to work the weekday tour once because they could sleep un right. un uninterrupted. Yeah, you know, great. You'll get you'll get <laughs> some sleep and you'll get the credit for the tour, right, but, but you won't get any contact. You're not getting any skills done. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that because it was Friday. Yeah, honestly, listen, there were there were days when I would work uh, med school and I would be getting hammered all day with all these patients, and then but it would only count as you know the hours, right? The hours, not the not the patient contacts, you know. Um, so I love that. I probably would have done with my rotations a lot sooner if uh, it would have been based on patient contacts. Yeah, you know. I see. It's one MCI. Okay, I'm done. I mean, honestly, I was working on my momities and, and, and I was doing my rotations in my momities and I was, you know, nonstop for, you know, for 8, 12 hours. So, you know, really, Sundays. it would have been uh, very nice to be able to just sort of, you know, count that. And I love that idea. I love the fact that they're using tablets as a way to, you know, track what they're doing and take the test and have all the, all the, the, the content and the textbooks there. I love all that stuff, you know. Of course, you know me, terrible. Yeah paramedic in my whole online push. Right, uh, and what's going to be interesting is, you know, as a study aid, if the guys are really sharp and they have internet access on their tablets, they'll be accessing your site for that extra edge. If only, if only. It'll happen, it'll happen. Technophobes need not apply, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Jim, so I heard that, you know, we had somebody contact us. Do we have uh, any time for that? Yes, I think we do. Well, this is something that Josh and I talked about, and Dave, I was, uh, uh, we were talking about this, Josh and I, the other day, and it was sometimes we get, we'll get emails um, asking questions, uh, making comments about the show, and I thought it might be nice to, at the end of the show, pick one or two or even three of, of these communications and ask the question on the air and, you know, kind of bang around amongst each other, and then... Uh, you know, make it sort of a feature so that we can get other people sending us an email. So today... We'll continue to send us emails. Yeah, exactly. Keep the so, pipeline flowing. Right, and you can, if you don't want to send an email, you don't want to give us your email address, you can go ahead and make a comment on the, on the Facebook page and we'll pick it up from there even. So Don't you have like an 800 number people can call and leave uh I have a number, on? but don't ask me for it right now. I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> we'll get that out. Yeah. So, well, the, the, the question came with uh, regarding guidelines, and Dave, you might be able to, to kind of give some input on this, which I, I'm kind of glad you're on, because I can't think for the life of me why this would be, but um, they talk about the, uh, you know, the protocols and how uh, an agency that they work for has very, you know, advanced protocols and a lot of great drugs and procedures, you know, RSI and, uh, 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 you know, uh, chilled saline and all this great stuff. But the one thing that they don't have is the option to give cardizem, uh for for patients. 
you know, they can give you adenosine, but if it doesn't doesn't do anything, you know, oh well, it goes to the hospital type thing. You know, there's no card of them uh, to be given, med control or scanning or otherwise. And I just wonder what the thought process is behind something like that, why you would not make that drug uh, available, you know, to your paramedics, especially if you're doing, you know, you're making other drugs like uh, ketamine and, uh, you know, Haldol and, uh, you know, all these other procedural IO drills and RSI and all this stuff, but that's the one thing that they wouldn't allow. So they, they were just kind of wondering what our take would be on that, you know, what our thoughts were, why they would they would not allow, you know, card of them as one of the, the options. Do you have any thoughts on that, Dave? Why do you think they would not? That would be something that a medical director might not want to do? Well, you know, a good thing to do would be ask the medical director. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But um, I mean, are they, are they using cardizem for? Um, to, 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 are they using it like to break AFib? Well, they're using it for you know for the rapid not for the rapid AFib. Exactly. Well, they I mean, it's being used. They've in seen ED. it. Right. right. They've seen it for rapid AFib and other guidelines, but for some reason, the rapid AFib guideline that they're that they're looking at now uh, doesn't have it as an option. It's just pretty much just adenosine and then electricity. If the patient's unstable, there's no option for cardizem for you know rapid effect. No chemical conversion. Yeah, no chemical. Now this, you know, and I'm like, hmm. And I and my answer too, of course, is maybe this is an opportunity to kind of sit with your medical director and get that thought process as to why, you know, they're not doing it. I mean, it's a way to engage your medical director and and get that answer, you know. Hmm. But um. And it's a hell of a lot better, you know, even even if we can't come up with, uh, because I've never heard where it's, where it's bad. You know, I still haven't heard that. But maybe somebody, if they're advanced area, they, they, they aren't using it for a particular reason. But, you know, if you think about it, the medical director is usually this person who's far and away removed from the day-to-day operations and is there just as an oversight. But it's an important person. I mean, they sign off on your ability to work. Uh, if you ever end up getting in trouble for something, uh, you may end up, uh, you know, in front of them. And it's always good to have a, a rapport with somebody before that time that you really need a rapport. Yeah. So here's an op, you know, an excellent opportunity to to yeah. get in front. Yeah, I mean, I know years ago uh, uh, with Fidney, Fidney Medics uh, didn't have cardizem. It was in the protocol, but they didn't have cardizem on the Fidney ambulances. Well, I think it's expensive too, isn't it? Um, yeah, it is, but it, it's only it, it, it's more costly if you can't keep it refrigerated. You know, once you take it out of the refrigerator, it's like what a thirty-day. Right. Uh, right. Ah, yeah. So that could be it. But if you have, if they already have, you know, from what. The, the 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 question was they already have chilled saline, so they have to have some place on the ambulance for to refrigerate stuff, so they can keep the drug there, you know, if need be. I don't know, just a fiber yard, and I think the ketamine has to be refrigerated too, right? I don't know. I mean, back in my early day, I worked in an animal lab, and we didn't refrigerate the ketamine, but that was you know an animal lab, so I don't know if there's a difference. 
I'm sure there. I'm sure there's no difference on it. Yeah, I can't think of a difference either. I don't know. It's just an odd thing. But I guess the answer for it would be to just encourage them to go and engage the medical director and maybe get some uh, direct feedback as to why. Yeah, this might not have been the answer they were looking for. But yeah, this is, the, this is the best advice that we could come up with. Is you know, use it as an opportunity. Get in front of your medical director, ask them. You might learn something very interesting, or you might open their eyes to something that they're not doing. That they it might just be yeah. that person. You know, like a lot of things. And we've had Tim Noonan on here a few times, and you know, he says a lot of times what gets put into protocols is a doctor's preference. It's, it's what a medical director is used to, what they're comfortable with, what they've, you know, always done type thing. And then we, you know, so we don't get to, to, to do things that have been proven to work or, or whatever. And, and you know, that could be it. It could just be this, that the, the medical director of this place just doesn't uh, like it for some reason. Maybe they have a bad experience with it for some reason. And that's why they don't put it in there. Who knows? So maybe they have some beta blockers in there that they're using, and they just don't want them to put them together. That could be too. I think there's an interaction, a uh, a um, yeah, that fear. And, and in, no, I think I'm pretty sure there's some sort of increased reaction when you have uh, beta blockers and calcium channel blockers together. And really, there's not much left after you block the beta. After you block beta and calcium channels. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe they're afraid of some uh, asystole or or right. high degrees of block setting in. Yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe the doctors, you know, have had that experience of that happening and feels, you know, that the patient's in a rapid fib and and you know they become unstable. Then, you know, shock them. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. got that. Maybe that's that's the you know, otherwise take shock them like here's your bill and and then there's the nah. There's the other question that needs that begs to be asked: How far away from the hospital are they? Right. If two miles from, if they're, if they're two hours from a hospital, then you need then you really need the arsenal. But if you're seven ten minutes away from a hospital, yeah, that you've got a few things to do. Just go to the hospital where I'm sure they got those tires them. Right. They need it. Hey, it might be a combination of those things. Who knows? But uh, yes, yeah, so I mean that might be it. I mean it could be the combination of a few different things, and maybe. But, that could, but, so maybe the best advice, like we said, is to kind of, you know, uh, approach the medical director and, uh, you know, ask that question. And maybe the things that we've mentioned will be said, well, that's why, because the hospitals are too close or because we have the other drugs and we don't want it to be an issue, uh, you know, given two drugs at once. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's exactly why. But the important thing is here, Jim, is that they wrote in and asked us. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, next time put a name. And we'll be glad to at least uh, use your first name or whatever you want. Uh, well, listen, well, they gave me the name. I have the name, but I didn't know if they were allowing me to. I didn't want to use it without their permission. So um, okay. if you do Don't have a question, yeah, if you do have a question or a comment, um, you can send it to us. Uh, let us know what region you're from. We're, we're, we're fully willing to protect any and all information. Yeah, we can use but, your first name. No. And that's yeah. where you're from. You know, your first name in the state. Yeah, exactly. Mr. X even. Any of those. Um, I know Mr. X. Yeah. <laughs> you have the comic books too? Mr. Weisbrough. So um, send them over to me. Uh, we're going to get a special email address actually for them. But for now, if you have a question, you can send it to jhoff at emsseo.com. Um, 
and you can send the questions to me there. And then hopefully uh, by the next time we do a show, we will be able to uh, have a dedicated email address for that. And I'll get that number too that Josh had mentioned. And people can call the number direct also and just leave a voicemail. Can't make it easier. Yeah, exactly. We want to interact. We could, you could even text Jim at, uh, no, you can't text him, Jim. You can't text no. Jim. Well, actually, you could go uh, pound EMS safety. Yeah, you could do you that. Know, you know, for your Twitter account. Yeah, you could do that. Tweet, too. tweet Jim. You can tweet me at EMS safe, and I'll see you tweet. You can do that, too. Right. Anything, anything though. We want the interaction, so by all means, send me the questions, email them. Uh, uh, again, we'll put the phone number. You can leave the, me the message or the question on the blog. You can leave it on the Facebook page. However you want to do it, just send them on over. We want to interact. We want to get more interaction with the listeners. Uh, I would want to mention next week there will not be a show next Sunday. So, oh, no. No, no show next Sunday. I will not be available. So. You will be asleep in a turkey coma. No, I won't be that, but I won't be available. Okay. So. All right. So next week uh, we'll be taking a, a short little break, and then we'll we'll drill it home after that. I think for the holidays. Now, nice, nice. You know, we'll bang it out through the holidays. So everybody have a great Thanksgiving. Okay. And uh, I agree. Yeah. Enjoy. It's a good yeah. holiday. Have a safe Thanksgiving. If you're working, of course, thank you. I'm working. Thank you for being dedicated and working uh, the holiday. No and, problem. Uh, be extra safe on Thanksgiving out there because you get more people on the road, you know, more heart attacks. Right. More stress calls. More stress calls. So uh, Right. You safe. put the family together, stress happens. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, everybody be, be extra safe out college, there. College students driving home, exactly. driving back. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. So everyone just be safe out there and, you know, watch what you're doing. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, I guess we'll talk to you. Uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you guys before then, but we'll definitely talk to each other on the show in about in two weeks. Awesome. Have a good night, Jim. All righty. Good night, Jim. Good night, Josh. All right, everybody, that's it for me. Um, good night, always, Any questions, comments? Night, Josh, it's the wall. It's the wall. Yeah. <laughs> you see, Josh, when I start ending the show, that means you shut your pie hole so I can do it. You don't keep talking over me. See how that works? Is it pumpkin pie, Jim? No, it's just your pie and the hole that's in it. Oh. All right, everybody, that's it. Have a great Thanksgiving. Stay safe.